Welcome to Corn on the Macabre. I'm Katie Adkins. I'm Kelly Reed. And we're going to talk to you about Stockholm Syndrome. Also, how I get Kelly to live with me is Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) The story of our friendship. The story of our friendship. How I, you know, seduced and tricked Kelly to leave her hometown in Florida to come live with me. That, yep. (laughs) She really kidnapped me. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I didn't do it by any illegal means. No, no, purely. So, does Stockholm syndrome? Does law have to be involved in Stockholm so, syndrome? So, actually, I do have the definition of Stockholm syndrome. I don't. So you should. I'm help us out. To a hundred percent. Okay, let me just pull this up. Um. So, what's the definition? Okay. So the definition of Stockholm syndrome is a condition in which a hostage or person in captivity develops a bond with their aggressor. This bond can range from simple feelings of empathy to the illusion of romantic interest. The name derives from the August 1973 Normal Strog Strog robbery in uh, Stockholm, Sweden, in which gunmen held bank employees captive for six days, and over these days the hostages formed an alliance with the criminals. Um, psychologists have described Stockholm syndrome as an extreme coping or survival mechanism against a hostile situation. Uh, those rec- rescued are said to be in a trance-like state, wherein the concept of right and wrong are so muddled that captivity became comforting. In cases where a person is held for years, it is uh, the outside world that represents danger or uncertainty, and the sealed doors. Um, so they have to be aggressive. Safety. No, it says as long as they're a hostage or a person in captivity. Okay, so, so a, person, a person a person in captivity. Yeah. Okay, yeah, my story still fits that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. I was I was concerned about mine, but then it was like uh, develops a bond where it's like empathy and not romantic yeah. necessarily. It does. It's not always romantic, but in the movies, we always make it romantic. Yeah. I when I was in college, I had a couple guys I was friends with that were interested in making a fan film about Batman. But it was about, they wanted to change Harley Quinn's origin story to be a story of Stockholm Syndrome mm-hmm. versus her being, because the actual story is she was a doctor for him while he was in an asylum and through treating him, she fell in love with him and ended up siding with him. But that's mm-hmm. not, cap. if anything, he was in captivity. You know, she was being paid to analyze him. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me, um, you said it was in the movies, and actually, first thing that popped into my head was Passengers, that, um, the space the movie Kristen, with- Oh, I was like the Kristen Stewart movie, Oh, no, Messengers. No. I was like- Different film. Completely different. You know what? I thought you didn't see that movie. No, I did, because it had my two big crushes. Right, but you said you weren't going to see it because it got bad reviews. And but you didn't. Okay, so. Then I thought about you it. You caved. I did, because they're two very beautiful people. I didn't think of that as a Stockholm Syndrome but story. It but it is. a Stockholm Syndrome. It is a Stockholm Syndrome, syndrome She story. had no one else. Yeah. And she was trapped. She had nowhere to go. She was in captivity. I didn't. You know what? Yeah, that's absolutely... That makes total sense. What's also funny when you talk about Stockholm Syndrome is I know a lot of people think of Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. which kind of technically is. is. Well, at some point, though, like, she could leave mm-hmm. and chose not to. But I'd say it's different from Rapunzel. I think Rapunzel is a way more intense form oh, yeah. of Stockholm Syndrome because, I mean, that was aggressive from the beginning. Right. Whereas, like... 
I don't know. The thing with Beauty and the Beast is I see people argue that a lot online about whether or not Belle suffers from Stockholm Syndrome or not. Is like, at first, like, she hates him because he's mean and aggressive, but then she does start to empathize towards him, but she's still technically captive. So it's... So you're basically describing Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, but she does, like, try to leave at some point, and he saves her life. And then doesn't he say she can leave, and she chooses um, not to? Yeah, but that's the thing, though. It's, like, after a certain point, like, there's... Mul- all the stories that I read, so they it has had a to, chance to get away. So it has to start as aggressive captivity. So, yeah, Beauty and Beast is Stockholm Syndrome. It doesn't even necessarily have to be aggressive. It's just, I mean... Well, it was aggressive captivity. I mean, he traded her for her dad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, that was more of, like, a bargain, honestly. I wouldn't describe it as aggressive. Well, that was the only way he would set Maurice free. Yeah. As if she took his place, right? Yeah. Well, she she offered that deal. Belle did volunteer. She she volunteered to be kidnapped, but it was to save her dad. So I guess it I guess just depends. I feel like there's another Disney movie that involves Stockholm Syndrome, but I can't think of it. I just when I think of Stockholm Syndrome, I immediately think of Rapunzel. Yeah, like definitely, because like that had to have been fucking traumatizing to grow up to find out your whole life is a lie. Also. Never seen a man in person before ever. That had to have been a crazy rush of hormones when right Rider. She just jumped his bones immediately. It could have been any man, honestly. Mm-hmm. Where she'd have been like, I don't know how to react to this. My body has never physically been near <laughs> anyone else other than what I believe to be my mother. Yeah. That would have been nuts. Weird. But Weird. I mean, I'm sure in books, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, she knew what men were. So... Are you going first, or... I don't know. Mine's really long. So, I was thinking maybe you go first, but you know what I was okay. also just realizing? Hmm. Wine's in the fridge. Wine is in the fridge. Wine is in the fridge. And we can't have an episode without a glass we of wine. We can't have an episode without we a glass have, of wine. You know what? I'm going to get rid of this up here so you're not, like, covered <laughs> by that. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank no problem. You. And we're back, back in the game. We're back in the game. We have our glass of wine and we're ready to talk about kidnapping. I just want to say that I'm really proud of where we are as people that we would pause this to go get wine because mm-hmm. we know our priorities. Well, yeah. 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 We can't have an episode without a glass of wine. It's kind of a staple. It's going to be really awkward. Ten years from now, if we're still doing this podcast, and then we have to, like, quit drinking because we're alcoholics or something, and then we're like, oh, well, I guess we'll just have our grape juice. Well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> Notice how I said when. <laughs> Yikes! Anyway, <laughs> Well, that's awkward. Um, so, what kind of wine do we prefer? Cabernet Savion. But if I do, if I have to drink wine, which this was a gift wine, you could call Ooh, it. it's tasty. It's a Chardonnay. Chardonnay is the only white wine I like. And it is good. Yeah, I've never That's heard it. It's pretty bold. Ava Grace Vineyard. Ooh. I'm it's bold and brash. Ooh. <laughs> I, My favorite. You want to go ahead and do your story? Sure. Hell yeah. Cool. So I got a story for you. You probably know some of it. I'm sure all of you do. Because it's fucking wild. Colleen Stan. Is who we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's okay. Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. Okay. So I heard about her on a podcast. They didn't really go into as much detail as I found. 
probably going to have some extra info for you this go round. That's what I love is the details. I do too. That's why we talk too long. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Let me take a sip before I dive in. All right. Colleen Stan. Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. So in 1977, 20-year-old Colleen Stan was hitchhiking from her hometown of Eugene, Oregon, to Northern California. So automatically, we're in the late 70s. Hitchhiking. Hitchhiking is still a thing, and it's dumb. Like, when was Ted Bundy? He was in the 70s, right? That is the same time as Ted Bundy. And in California. So, Colleen, what you doing, baby? Girl. What you doing? I mean, it's not your fault, but, like, goddamn. I just... I don't know. I can't imagine living in a time without stranger danger. Like, that just was always a thing. And even as a little kid, I had this, like, well, she's a grown woman. Yeah, she's 20. But still, even when I was, like, a teenager, like, I still would have, like, vibes about certain situations being, like, this is dangerous. I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Like, it felt like an instinct more of a, I'm doing what I'm told. Yeah, I didn't have to be told about stranger danger. Yeah. It was kind of just it's kind of like, in your mind. This makes me uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I found out recently it's actually a mental disability to not have that feeling of, like, stranger danger. Hmm. That there's actually, um, it's, there's a term for it, but basically for kids and people who will approach literally anybody is actually a mental disability. Hmm. So. Well, I mean, I think this is also, well, I mean, that makes sense, but also this kind of was the age of, like, politeness before safety. Yeah, but also if you're going to hitchhike and be a hippie, like, but you're thinking, like, free love, peace, Yeah, free love, And peace, you're like, I trust everybody. We're all if family. If you extend your love, I'll, I'll give, extend theirs. I can't give you money, but I'll pay you with weed. I don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, so it's 1977. She's trying to get from Oregon to California. Um, and then a blue van pulls up in uh, California. She sees it's being driven by a man and his wife. Um, who's in the passenger seat, and they have a baby in the back seat. At this point, she had already turned down a couple rides, so she's not... Well, there's a baby in the car. She's a little bit cautious. Yeah, so she's been cautious, Yeah. to her credit. Like, she's turned down a few people just trying to stay safe, but she sees this guy, his wife, and his baby in the car, and she thinks, okay, well, I mean, if they have a kid, they must be respectable human beings. I'm not going to lie, I would have made the exact same assessment. Yeah, right. Um, so she accepted the ride. The man was 23-year-old Cameron Hooker, and his wife was a 19-year-old Janice Hooker, so she's younger than this girl. And as it turned out, they had been actively looking for a hitchhiker to kidnap. They had, or Cameron had very intense bondage fantasies, and up until this point, he had been using his wife to fill them. Um, so Janice later... Usually that's what you do, is consent and use Mm -hmm. your... So, but Janice later alleges that um, shortly after she met Cameron, he would routinely hurt her. Um, He brainwashed her. Uh, Janice agreed eventually to let her husband kidnap a woman as a sex slave so that she wouldn't have to do it anymore. So, does it say how he brainwashed her? Was there a method or was it just more of like... It was, I'm sure it was like just manipulative tactics. Yeah, just, okay, just like through... manipulation yeah just like a, oh i love you you know this is all i'm not trying to hurt you yeah. i love you blah, blah blah my my story involves brainwashing as well and it's really bizarre the way some people do, do that it. yeah it's just for a lot of the a lot of the time it's just people who are very manipulative and skeezy yeah <laughs> and demented so yeah so she agrees to this because she doesn't want to be beat anymore and 
So she's just like, okay, find me a replacement. It's fine. That way I don't have to do it and I still get to stay with you. So shortly after uh, Colleen got into the van, Cameron veered off the road and into a remote area. Um, he held a knife to her neck and forced her into a head box that weighed 20 pounds. So a head box is a box that only contains your head. Um, so there's a hole at the bottom? Yeah, right. It's like around your neck. It blocks out sound and light and prevents the flow of fresh air. So she's just trapped. Her head is just trapped in this box. And can you imagine, like, how claustrophobic that would be? That would freak me. Okay, sidebar, really quick. Just real quick sidebar. Okay. Okay, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was watching this thing on scary haunted houses, like, that you pay to go to, not like a house that is haunted by ghosts, mm-hmm. like a, whatever, humans. You've heard the McKamey Manor, right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's heard of it. Did you know that they're now offering... $20,000? $20,000. So I decided... So they remade a video. The guy who runs it, the guy who owns the house and does all of this, mm-hmm. made a video, and he was like, I have to start recording people because people tried to sue for things that didn't happen in the house, mm-hmm. and here are the recordings of those people, or whatever. And so I watched some of it, and they only showed the parts, like, the moment the person was like, I quit, I quit, I quit, and, like, the safe words to quit is, Russ uh, stole my milk and stole my lunch money and I quit or something. Like, you have to say that specific. Huh. Or otherwise they won't let you out. Anyways, um, like, begging won't do anything. Right. That's when and they can like, touch you and stuff, And right? one of the dudes, they had this thing on his head and they were burying him alive and they were covering his face in mud. And I was like, how is he breathing? Literally, it looked like he was being suffocated. That's just torture. And so when you said, like, a head thing, I thought of that. It is torture. Yeah. Um, and you have to be there. Apparently, it originally was four hours, but now it's two nights. Two nights? Two nights. I was like, four hours? I think I might be able to endure For 20000 But for 20000 I think it's two nights. You have to do it. I... I think at that point, it's somebody's sick fantasy that they're just trying to live out. Oh, oh, this man is totally... The guy who runs it is... It has to be because you don't pay to go. Yeah. You don't give him any money to do this. Well, you give him dog food and then they donate it to like an animal shelter. Actually, he owns five dogs. It's for his dogs. No fucking way. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, also, there's like a hypnotizing aspect to it. Did you know that? No way! Yeah, they like hypnotize you. Oh, fuck that. Okay, yeah. see, that's, okay, that's brainwashing. It's, ba- it's brainwashed. It's brainwashed. It's brainwashed torture. torture. <laughs> fuck, dude. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, what I literally saw, because I've seen other clips of people having head cages with, like, non-venomous snakes or snakes that don't have teeth, like, all over them, because, like, you can't hurt them. I love horror shit, but I'm not into being somebody's kinky fetish. Well, like, now you also have to have doctor's notes and, like, psych, like, uh... Um, psych evaluations. Psych evaluations before you can 40 even... 40-page Before waiver. you can even be on the wait list. Yeah. Because there's a wait list. It's a dumb. fucking wait list. And every single person who's done it has said, don't do it. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Yeah, and like, nobody's made it through. Nobody's I, made it through. When I saw the $20,000, I was like, I could, and then I saw a man being buried alive with mud, and I was like, mm maybe dry dirt, but not mud. <laughs> I, that sounds horrifying. How would you even get the safe words out, you know? I think he had, I think they had something over his face. I think they put a thing on him, because otherwise he would actually suffocate, but you couldn't see his face. It was covered in mud, and I think they have him miked. Yeah, that's not a haunted house. That's a kink house. That's some fucked up shit house. Because I bet there are people where they're like, their kink is to be heavily tortured, and if no one's been through that house... Nobody's been through it. <laughs> Nobody's made it through. 
God. Okay. That's so insane. I, I just so he puts her in this head box, um, and they drive her to a house. Um, where she's led downstairs to a cellar and she's just subjected to all kinds of torture. Um, she was tied to the ceiling by her wrists and then beaten. Um, then she was electrocuted, she was whipped, and she was burned. So they just... What did they electrocute her with? That's the thing is they don't... They don't say, say what they use. They, they don't just, say what they use. They just said, mm-hmm. like, the, these are all the things that they did to her. They whipped her, they burned her. They whipped her. her, they burned her, they tied her up by her wrists while she's going through all this. So she can't even. So she's like hanging, hanging by, by her wrist, dangling. Ceiling. And then, meanwhile, they keep her in a box. Well, that's the thing. So, um, they this was all done in a house originally, and then the couple moves into a mobile home. Um, so they get this coffin-like wooden box, and they put it under the bed for up to twenty-three hours a day. They have her in there, and they just have her in this coffin with like a bed under pan? the bed. Or did they clean out her box? How did she not die of sepsis? Right? Like, I have a lot of thoughts. Also, this is going to sound weird, but maybe it's because I've never been tortured or mutilated, but in my mind, the worst part of this is being in a box for 23 hours. That would make you go mad. Yeah, just in a fucking dark-ass Fuck, coffin. I'd, I'd fucking suffer Stockholm Syndrome, too. I'd be like, fuck, what do I gotta do to get out of this so, box? Exactly. So... <laughs> Like, uh, the couple ended up having two daughters, um, who they treated very well. <laughs> yeah. But the daughters, well, they but were But the daughters babies. had no idea. They were babies? Yeah, well, I, one was a baby when they kidnapped right. her. Right. And then they had a second one after. Yeah. So they were tiny children. They very didn't young. know any better. They didn't know that, that she was even in the house. How um, could they not? Okay. Yeah. How could um, they not it's a motor. It's a mobile home. But whenever the couple wanted to leave, and because she was just stuck in this box the whole time, they would let her out to, like, babysit the kids. So, like, as far as they knew, that was their babysitter. Okay. Those kids had to have known it was a mobile home. How mm-hmm. could they not know I... that she was there all the time in their parents' room in a box? Like, got under the bed. She's hidden away. I bet those kids were fucking homeschooled and didn't play with anyone else but each other, so they mm-hmm. couldn't go around to any of the other kids and be like, yeah, our box woman. Like, yeah. <laughs> Our babysitter lives in a box under our parents' well, bed. Well, the thing is, she was in that box for seven years, so obviously <gasps> I didn't know anything. Seven? Or... She's in that box for seven years. Seven years. You can't just drop that on someone. I'm sorry. <laughs> seven fucking years this is going on. She was subjected to beatings, um, rapes the whole time. I bet. But she doesn't even think this is the worst part of her confinement. What she says um, that terrified her the most was that Cameron claimed he was in uh, a member of a satanic cult um, called The Company. And she was told that The Company was a powerful organization who watched over her and had her family's home bugged. So he would threaten to kill her and kill her family if she tried to get away. Um, he also forced her to call him master as a subordinate to The Company. And um, she couldn't talk or move without permission. Uh, she was expected to conform to all of his graphic and erotic fantasies. She was not only being threatened herself, but her family was being threatened. And I i mean, I imagine she wouldn't want anybody in her family going through what she was going through. Yeah. Or being and I And I get that she's being, like, very... Okay, I need Calcifer to not. Calcifer, please. Buddy. So needy. He's so needy. So, there's so many things that... I get that she's being brainwashed. She's in a box. 
for like 23 hours. She's being tortured, all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it being 1977, though, I can't help but think to myself, I'd be like, how could they know who my family is? The internet doesn't exist. But I guess. But she, it's like, it's an organization that he's so like they saying think is so it's advanced. An organization is so advanced that they can find them like yeah. magic. That, yeah, well, that her house is bugged. He, he tells her that her, her like family's home is bugged. And let me fucking get to it too. So, like. Okay, okay, okay. Because it gets fucking worse. She feared that any escape attempt. Um, would cause the company to hurt her family, so she remained in captivity and even signed a contract saying that she was their slave. Like, she just signed over herself to them. You know, I would love to see this happen to a couple, but the person they kidnap is a sociopath and is like, fuck it, kill my family. Right? <laughs> and they're just like, uh, fuck. Like, they're just like, yeah, I do don't know it. if we want to keep you here anymore. <laughs> um, but by complying with all of his uh, wishes... Uh, Colleen continuously earned more and more freedom over time because they started to trust her a little more. And She became part of the family. She was the babysitter. Yeah. She was allowed to work in the garden and go for jogs. Um, she was even allowed to visit her family. Cameron even accompanied her, and she said he was her boyfriend. So her family takes a happy-looking photograph of them. But her lack of communication and money made them think that she was in a cult. Um, however, they didn't want to pressure her as they were scared it would cause her to disappear for good because she's been gone for so long. But she, like, literally is visiting her family. They're sitting together. They're hanging out. She's saying that Cameron's her boyfriend. Sorry I've been gone for... How many years had passed before she visited her family? Well, that, that doesn't seem like the next few months but here's the thing is like she seemed like she was like the hitchhiking type so it probably it was like like oh she joined a cult that colleen yeah i mean it's the 70s like (laughs) everyone's in a cult everyone's in a cult these days everyone's in a cult as long as it's not that charlie manson as as long as you're not murdering people go have at it yeah Murdering celebrities and all that nonsense. We don't need that. We don't need that negativity in this household. Just stick around. Just um, just do acid and frolic and fields. So she just wouldn't talk around her family. And they were just like, oh, must be a cult. Nothing weird going on here. Uh, this man is clearly in charge of her. Yeah, right. Um, so Colleen was kept captive for seven years. It was from 1977 to 1984. And towards the end of that seven-year span, Cameron stated that he wanted uh, Colleen as his second wife. And this is where everything falls apart because Yeah, I'm sure first his wife, wife was like, fuck no. Janice was like, not about this. She's the supposed slightest. to be a sex slave. This was the turning point for Janice. Um, she ended up revealing to Colleen that Cameron wasn't a part of this cult group and even helped her escape. In the beginning, Janice asked Colleen not to say anything after she told her that he wasn't part of the company and that it wasn't a real thing, um, because she was like... So Janice was like, we brainwashed you, sorry. Yeah, so Janice, like, goes to Colleen and is like, hey, so the company doesn't exist, we're not a part of anything like that, but look, I, I think he's just really messed up, and I think he has the potential to be a good person and we can rehabilitate him, so don't turn him in. We can get through this together. And Colleen at this point has like formed empathy for this guy to where she listens to Janice. You know what? This is a story of not one, but two women who have been brainwashed and are suffering yes. Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. I'm sorry. Janice <laughs> is a fucking victim. Eventually, oh my God. in 1984, Janice helps um, Colleen escape and drops her off at a bus station. 
the woman who had been kept as a slave for seven years calls her father and got to got money to buy a, a ticket back to her home in Oregon. Um, she even called Cameron and said, "Hey, I'm leaving." Like, hey, I'm escaped, I know, I'm, I'm gone. I know, I'm your slave and all. Like, this is how I imagine the conversation. Gets on a payphone. Hey, Cam. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know how, like, I signed a contract that I'm your slave, I've been living in a box, babysitting your kids, you know, really become a pillar of community in your home. Or pillar to your, that I said that wrong. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to go. I'm going to bail. My dad just sent me some money for a plane ticket. He thinks I'm part of a cult, which is cute. <laughs> and Janice is worried about you, so you should probably go home and take care of that. Mm-hmm. And I'll just see you later. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? So, so she calls him, lets him know, and he cries. He cries on the phone about well, it. Well, he wants her to be his second wife. Yeah. He's clearly... Fallen in love with her, whatever he thinks love is, because this man is a total psychopath. Right. Yeah, he's a total fucking psychopath. So, but the, I can't believe that she, like, she escaped. She's out. She's gone. She's out of this box. And she still calls him and is like, hey, just so you know, I'm gone. I still love you, but this isn't working for me. Yeah. It's not me. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> and she, when she gets home, she doesn't tell anyone. She doesn't tell anybody what happened to her. Like, she still thinks that there's a chance for this guy to turn it around or something. And it's not until Janice comes forward to the police and turns him in. And she says, like, all this stuff happened. That Colleen stands up and says, oh, well, yeah, I was that girl. And everything she's saying is true. I wonder how many people told Janice she was fucking insane before they finally believed her. I bet they needed Colleen to believe her. You know what I mean? Like... I don't know, man. I gotta, like, wonder what this guy was like. Well, back in the 70s, the word pedophile didn't even exist. Like, there's so much crazy shit happening that the police were like, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds kinky. Like... <laughs> <laughs> sounds like there's a contract and you consented, miss. Right. <laughs> right. It's, that's just... It's... Oh, my God. So, there's a 1985 uh, trial... Um, for capturing and abusing Stan, Janice exchanges all this information for full immunity. I mean, yeah. Yeah. As you would. Also, yeah. probably for the safety of her children, if she has full immunity, she can still take care of her kids. Right. So, here's where some more crazy shit comes out. So, at this point in time, I just realized Janice is, like, in her mid-20s. Yeah. Could you imagine doing all that no. at, like, 24, 25? No. <laughs> I, can't, I also can't imagine letting my husband keep a sex slave and then like being cool with it i don't know at 19 though i'm kidding at 19 though, <laughs> at 19, though. you're convincing some pretty crazy really shit hot. <laughs> i don't know one time i wore this like really ugly purple sweater so i understand oh my god <laughs> at 19 usually girls are dating guys who yell at them for wearing makeup yeah. not negotiating for like a sex slave <laughs> jesus so this is where some really fucking nuts shit came out that I okay. didn't know about. All right. Um, so while they're going through this trial, Janice reveals that her husband captured another woman um, before. Before Colleen? Before Colleen. Was there a, a previous box girl? So it was 19-year-old Mary Elizabeth uh, Spanhake on January 31st, 1976. 
It was before they offered a ride to Colleen. The couple picked up Span Hike when she was hitchhiking to uh, another part of California. Mm-hmm. And according to Janice, they took the young woman into their home, and Cameron physically harmed and eventually murdered her. Cameron's a murderer? Yeah, so her body's never been found. Um, and unfortunately, the authorities were not able to get enough evidence to be able to prosecute him for it. So Janice just came forward and told the story? Yeah. What? The, I want to know. Did she... I wonder if she ever released details on how they got rid of the body, but if they never found the body. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that he just left her out of it, that he, like, took care of the body and... It's also possible she didn't have full immunity for that case. Yeah. And that she didn't want to give any information that would make her an accomplice to murder. Right. Because that tells me... Because here's the wheels in my brain turning. She's completely an accomplice to that murder. He probably used that as a means to make them feel like they're closer together. Right. To get her to be in on kidnapping a girl. Because that's the thing is, like, them committing a murder together prior to that makes way more sense to me for a 19-year-old to be like, yeah, we can kidnap this girl and have her be your sex slave. Yeah. You've already committed one insane crime together. What's well, another? it's also just, like, probably that fear of, like, what, if I say no, what's he going to do to me? Right. Exactly. Like, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just so much. And also, back then, people didn't get divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, luckily, um, after these, after this trial, um, Cameron Hooker was found guilty and giving, given consecutive terms, totaling a 104-year sentence. Um, in 2015, he was denied parole. Good. Um, I didn't know he was still fucking alive. Yep, still alive and still in jail. And Can't fuck off. It's gonna be a minimum of fifteen more years before he's eligible for parole again. So let's see. That's uh twenty twenty five, twenty thirty. Twenty thirty. He'll be able to parole again. I bet he gets a lot of fucked up sick messages from girls who are like so hot punish me, would, daddy. Wish you would put me in a box or like some cre- creepy I- ass shit. <sighs> There's all kinds of kinds what out the there, man. fuck? Well, at least Colleen eventually had enough sense to like eventually make it home, but that's still like she was babysitting their kids. She's babysitting their kids, but like seven <sighs> years. That means she was 25 by the time she made it home. No, she was 26 if she was 19. Yeah, no, she was 20. She was 20 when she was kidnapped. 19 was the wife. Yeah. So she was 27. She was our age. She was my, uh, oh my God. I'm having a Kimmy Schmidt moment of like, imagine just wiping those years of my life and coming out into the world being like, what is this? <laughs> what I is mean, you spend your life in a box. Well, now she's married. She has kids. Um, She runs a support group for traumatized women. Good. Um, So, I mean, she's done I'm glad. a lot. I'm glad when women... And people in general, sorry, men and women, people alike. Own their trauma. It's not just owning your trauma. It's taking your trauma and trying to help other people. You know what I mean? And the girl in my story does a similar thing. But, like, Elizabeth Smart did it. Mm -hmm. Like, Elizabeth Smart was huge on the stranger danger thing. And Mm -hmm. her being like, do not listen to a damn thing they say to you. If they say they're going to kill your parents... Doesn't matter. Like, go scream. Like, scream. Make noise. Yeah. Go to your parents. Like, do not listen to them. Like, it does not matter. That's scare tactics. You want to know what? This makes me a little annoyed. My dad's girlfriend has a teenage daughter. And right. apparently when she was, since she's a teenager, that means she was born in, like, 
2000. 2000. The 2000s, like after 2000. Fuck. She was born in like 2002. Uh, anyway, so 2003. Yikes! Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently after the 90s, they started requiring kids to take self-defense course in elementary school. And they like have, they like practice and like hit adults. Like what they'll do is um, they'll have kids practice these things and then they'll randomly have an adult like touch them and they're supposed to like react in a way to like fight them off. I have mixed feelings about this. It's like a seminar. It's not like a random, like, it's going to scare you during the day No, thing, no, I get that. But I still, still have mixed feelings because it's not It's not that, like, I think it's a great thing that kids are being taught to defend themselves. I just think it's really sad that it's... That we have to? That it's necessary. Well, the here's same, the thing. Same reason, like, well, the same the thing 70s. with, like, gun... Yeah, I know. But, like, <laughs> same thing with, like, the gun uh, drills and all that stuff. Well, like, the, the gun drills... to do that is... It's insane. Do you remember the bomb drills we used to have to do because of 9-11? Um, we did tornado drills. Okay, Florida. Um, <laughs> and hurricane drills. In Georgia, when I was in fourth grade, is the first time we had to do a bomb drill because of 9-11. Things happening at the time, apparently that was the time for bombs. And so I just remember the first time it happened, it like freaked me the fuck out because I did not know what was going on. I only knew tornado drills and I only knew intruder alert drills. Intruder alert drills was the one drill where I was like, I don't give a shit what the teacher says. I'm not listening. Mm. <laughs> like, I always had a secret plan in my head, which was hide in the closet. Because the intruder... Do you remember intruder alert drills? No. You didn't have intruder alert no, drills? No, we literally had tornado what? drills. Oh, my God. <laughs> we had intruder alert drills since I was, like, in kindergarten. No. Which is similar to the gun drills that we have today, but they're much different. So intruder alert drills, I guess it's because I live closer to a city. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I guess, I mean, I thought, was a I city, thought everyone like, had this, but anyways. Well, but, Florida just also is just like, ah, they're fine. Well, the intruder alert drill was stupid. Like, you realize Florida doesn't require that you wear a helmet on a motorcycle anymore? They think that it'll make your head heavier, so you're more likely to get, like, to hit your head if you're wearing a helmet. So just don't wear them. The government of Florida is high. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all they on bath salts. And they own motorcycles. They're all zombies. They're all <laughs> zombies. <laughs> what the fuck, Florida? It's like, welcome to Florida. It's like a lion, <laughs> but nobody asks any questions. It's they're like, don't Florida. worry about it. Welcome to Florida. Duh. D-U-H-H-H-H-H. Actually, don't ask questions. You know what? T-shirts on sale. Welcome to Florida. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> it just trails off yeah. down the street. <laughs> Like a bloody handprint. <laughs> like, just <laughs> some salt. Like, yes. <laughs> Someone designed that. Teacher's now on sale. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> so, our intruder alert drills were um, this was the whole drill, and I thought it was dumb. Even when I was like five or six, I remember coming home and telling my mom about it, and I'd be like, but this is what I'm really gonna do. If we have an intruder alert, my mom's like, okay. Because I was scared of guns as a kid. Which is interesting, because apparently a lot of other kids fucking weren't. We used to have this toy gun in my house that I was scared to touch, Mm -hmm. because it looked too real, and I knew it was fake, but I was scared of it, and I wouldn't touch it. Like, I was really scared of guns as a little kid. Dude, same. There was a show. I can't remember what it was, but it was on TV, and I don't think we were supposed to be watching it. Um, It was like a reenactment thing. It's like Spike TV. Yeah, something. But it was like this kid who had, like, found a gun in his, like, dad's um, nightstand or whatever. Mm -hmm. He opens it up and starts playing with it and, like, shoots himself in the face. And, I like, they were – it was graphic, too. And I was like, 
Oh my god. Like I don't want I don't want to get near a gun. I don't want to look at it. I'm still kind of that way. I'm just like guns freak me out. Well, I also grew up with real guns in the house. And that scared the living shit out of me, it's too. Scary. I walked. I walked into my parents' closet one time and just saw my dad's shotgun, and it just, like, I was, like, maybe seven. And a shotgun. It was a shotgun. I was <laughs> seven, and it was just hanging out by his dress clothes, and it just freaked me out, and I wouldn't go to my parents' closet anymore. Mm-hmm. I was just, I just grew up as a kid, like, terrified of guns, which is weird because I technically grew up around guns. But anyways, the intruder alert drill, there was a thing, they'd have something over the intercom and be like, an intruder alert, and what all the teachers would do, which is stupid, because you know how the doors would have, like, that little rectangle window? Mm-hmm. They would just put a piece, that they turn all the lights off, they put a piece of black construction paper over it so they can't see inside the room, mm-hmm. and you're just supposed to sit at your desk quietly. So everything's fine. I always told myself as a little kid that if we ever had a real intruder alert or anyone ever actually tried to get into the room, the first thing I would do is I would locate, you know, those little like cabinet things that were like metal. Mm. We had these cabinets yeah, yeah, for like crafts. We, ha- we had these, yeah, we had these cabinets in our our class that were like super tall. They're kind of like closets. And I was always small enough to be able to fit on, like, one of the shelves. And because my last name is, like, A.D., I was always set alphabetically on the side near one. Mm-hmm. And so my plan was always to just say, fuck it to that desk and climb into one of those mm-hmm. and just close the door. See, I would be worried with, like, a bunch of kids that they would but just try to follow you in there. That's the thing. I didn't consider as a kid. Because I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So the reason I'm supposed to sit quietly at your desk is because if one kid gets up to do something, it can cause mayhem and a lot of noise and create an attraction. But that was my plan for if, like, they were actively trying to get in the fucking room. Yeah. Because at that point, they're, they're That or try in. or go out a window. But I was never... That's my issue is when we were sat alphabetically, my desk was always the closest one to the door. Mm. And I was like prime victim number one where I was located so I was always like fuck that (laughs) um so when I see kids really scared of shootings I'm like I get it but I don't get it because I wasn't afraid of it happening randomly Mm -hmm. because we had alert drills right right the bomb thing which I thought was kind of dumb we only had one real bomb threat, which is kind of scary now I think about it. We had a real bomb threat one time in my elementary school, and what the bomb drill was to literally leave the school and walk to the high school down the street. We walked a mile to the high school down the street. Well, that sounds like a fun day. sit on the bleachers of the football field for a bomb threat. Thank you, 9-11. Yeah, it was a... Yeah. What up, inner city schools? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's a lie. Real inner city schools have, um, you have to walk through a metal detector before you go to school. Yeah. Hunter had to walk through a metal detector at her school because she went to a real inner city school. Jeez. Mine was just the rich suburb outside of where we were like. I just went to magnet school with a bunch of nerds. It's great. We had intruders at my high school. No alerts, just actual intruders. And we just had the officers kick them out. Yikes. Because that school was closer to the city, and we had random homeless people and stuff walk into the school. Yeah. That's crazy. Random ass people would walk into the school. Shit you not. All right. So that's enough about homeless people and stranger danger. Let's get (laughs) back to Stockholm Syndrome. Back to Stockholm Syndrome. Super exciting. I'm going to move this over here. All right. So my story 
also takes place in the 70s. Because the 70s belong Because the 70s are terrible. The 70s belong in jail. Yes. Also put, put that on a t-shirt. Okay, so mine is the tale of Jan Broberg. And some of you might be familiar with this story if you've seen the Netflix documentary Abducted in Plain Sight. If you have seen it, well, sorry, you're about to re- be retold more sh- of the same shit you already knew. If you have not seen it, when I'm done, you still need to see it. Because there's a shit ton of detail that I couldn't include because of time. And, like, it is nuts. It's fucking insane. So Jan Broberg was nine years old. And she was the oldest of three girls in Pocatello, Idaho. Their neighborhood was described as one where you never lock your doors and all the neighbors know each other and are friendly, pretty similar to the neighborhood I grew up in. Like, literally, doors were unlocked all the time. Mm -hmm. Everyone's friends. Everyone knows each other. Jan's mom, Marianne, met 36-year-old Bob B. Birchtold, June 1972, at their local LDS church, meaning they were Mormons, because that's Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. Bob had five children, and a few of them were the same age as Jan and her sisters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bob was described as having a super fun-loving personality and became very good friends with Jan's dad, who's also named Bob, Bob Broberg. Um, And early on in their friendship... He left them a fruit basket with a note that said, we sure enjoy your family, the Birchtolds. And the family was like, these people are legit. They leave us fruit baskets. Hell yeah. Um, never trust friends. Never trust people that are aggressively friendly. Nope. <laughs> nope, don't If like I them. first meet you and you're like, here's a fruit basket, I'm going to be like, fuck off. You're yep. freaking me no out. No way. <laughs> don't want it. Don't want fruit. This is too aggressively nice for mm. someone I just met. Okay. <laughs> Tell me I need to cut my lawn. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So so after a while, the kids and the rest of the Brobergs started to call Bob Birchtold B or Brother B. And I think that's because both dads were named Bob and it was to help, like, differentiate their names. Right. So uh, Bob Birchtold, who is the story that this is about, is going to be called B from now on in this story. Bob Broberg, his issue, other initials are fucking B. Bob is the dad. Bob Broberg is the dad. dad. So we got Bob the dad and B the fucker. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Birch told bad. Broberg? Good. Mostly. Kind of? Fine. You'll find out. Okay. They're mostly... F- they're, fu- they're fucked up in their own way. So um, Marianne became very close with B's wife, Gail. Bob was close with B. And the kids would all play together. Like, all of their kids were so close in age, it was like everyone had a best friend. And mm-hmm. it was perfect. And they all would hang out, family vacations, everything, right? Right. Um, B would even drive all the kids to school in the morning because he had a bigger car. So while B was super fun and friendly and would play with all the kids, Karen, the youngest sister of the Brobergs, noticed after a while that B seemed to have a special interest and put most of his attention on Jan, the oldest daughter, who's nine, Mm -hmm. whom he lovingly called Dolly, which is so creepy Mm. to me. Especially since we just talked about creepy dolls. Yeah. He called her Dolly. He would write poems and stuff 
about her and there's like multiple recordings he'd like record himself like a diary or something like talking and there's like a few recordings of him like talking about dolly in one of which i will quote a splattering of clouds were set on fire by the rays of the setting sun i looked at my dolly her face was a glow she reached out and took my hand and then said i love you I returned, I love you too, beautiful. I turned to her, put my arms around her, and pulled her close to me and said, Dolly, you've brought a special light into my life. I love you more than words can tell. She looked up at me. I bent over and we kissed. No man could love any woman more. She's nine. And he gave her this? Uh, No, this is stuff that people found in his possessions later on. Okay. Yeah. So that was one of the the quotes and recordings that they had found, because there's multiples of them. There's one that I'm going to read at the end that I put at the top that just, like, fucking creeps me out. That one doesn't creep you out? Oh, it does. They both creep me out. But, like... He's a creep. No, he's a monster. (laughs) A fucking monster. So, um... After a while, the special attention he gave to Jan started to bother her parents. But Jan... You don't say! But Jan said that she felt so safe and loved by him that she felt like he was another dad to her. Like, she loved him like a dad. Right. And that she was one of his children. And she just truly never believed that he could do anything to hurt her. Right. Fall of 1972... B called Marianne and asked if she would bring him lunch at work. So she did, and then pretty soon, Marianne being Jan's mom. Okay. She did, and pretty soon she started bringing lunch to him regularly, because they're just such good pals. Uh And he started complimenting her and saying things like, your legs are so gorgeous, and like, you know, just compliment her body. Did B have a wife? Yeah, Gail. Who Marianne was friends with. And mind you, I'm talking about Marianne right now, not Jan. Right. Yeah. So this is Jan's mom. And uh, he would say things that would excite her. And uh, things her husband didn't say at the time. At that point, she had been married 12, 13 years, and their marriage had been getting kind of stale. And uh, very soon she found herself attracted to B and tried to ignore it, but she admits that she really enjoyed the excitement of it all. At one point, uh, they went on a church trip to the mountains, and that's when their affair kind of began. It was like they made out some and did some, like, groping, and then they called it, like, quits. That There was, like, a one-time thing, and they both went back home, but she admits in interviews that she, like, thought about it way more than she should have and was, like, really into him. Yep. So that's a fun thing to know. On a separate occasion... He invited Jan's father, Bob, out for a car ride. And Bob could tell that B was really upset about something. And B had spoken to Bob previously multiple times about how he is not sexually satisfied by his wife at all. And that his sex life is terrible. And that he's just not getting any action. So on this car ride, you know, Bob can tell B's upset, and B says that he just can't stand his wife, and that he just, like, he needs relief. 
at this point in time, like, Bob could see that B had a boner and was sexually aroused. And B was like, please, I just really, really need you to relieve me. Like, it's just kid stuff. Like, it doesn't mean anything. And, like, manipulated him into jerking him off. And he did. So Chance died. So Chance was trying to fuck the whole family. It's all mind games because we're getting to it. Oh, Jesus Christ. This man is a fucking monster. The story I'm telling is Bob's side. Not bees? Not bees. So it's very possible that Bob is giving bare minimum of what they did. Oh, I'm sure. So, like, I'm sure he wouldn't. But go basically, to just know that B is. Shit was getting weird. Yeah, it's getting weird. He is seducing both the mom and dad while being obsessed with their daughter, Jan. Yeah, fucking uh, Yowza. nuts. So that was in 1972. The, both of those things happened two years before the kidnapping. The kidnapping was October 17th. 1974, two years after the weird church mountain makeout sesh and car jerk off sesh, B called and asked Jan's parents if he could take her horseback riding. Jan was super excited, really wanted to go, begged, I really want to go, I really want to go. And her mom's like, it's Thursday, it's a school night, Jan has piano practice in class, like, I think we should just try a different, a different night for that. And he's like, oh, well, that's fine. I'll just pick her up from piano and just take her straight to the stables. And the mom goes, well, okay, as long as you get her home in time for dinner before Bob comes back home. So uh, when he picked her up from her piano lesson, B hands her her allergy pills to take before the stables because all dust and whatever, allergies. And she takes them. And immediately passes out. Like, in interviews, she says that she doesn't remember pretty much anything. So, uh, safe to say, cutting back to the parents, Jan did not come home that night. And her parents called B's wife, Gail, and Gail said that B was missing as well because they wanted... And Marianne, she didn't want to stress people out. She called Gail. She was like, Gail, should we call the police? And she was like, no, they'll be home any minute. Like, just give it, like, give them a day. Give right. him a day? And she goes, Marion goes, okay, we'll wait. Trying to respect Gail's feelings, right? Uh-huh. After a day, it's now Friday, um, still nothing. And she's, you know, thinking about calling the police, isn't sure. Maybe they'll be back soon. So <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I I don't care how close we are, like what the fuck is going on. If you disappear with my child and you don't call me or contact me in any way and you're gone for way longer than we agreed, I'm calling the fucking cops. I don't care how long we've known each other. I'm calling everybody. I'm calling everyone. I'm everybody. Calling, I'm calling your sister. I'm calling your mom. I'm calling <laughs> their sisters and their moms. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call the police's police. I'm going to call all their families, too. Like, bring her back. Bring bring my child back, or we're going to have a big fucking phone mob. Saturday comes along. And she decides, okay, I'll call the police. Well, the station's closed for the weekend, but if it's an emergency, 
call this station and shoot. And the mom goes, you know, I don't want to stress everybody out. (laughs) (laughs) Over nothing. I'm sure they'll be back soon. There's just no way that anything bad's happened. We'll wait till Sunday. So they call Monday. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Five days. This man and small girl have been missing for five fucking days. They call the FBI. Finally. Right? Jesus. Yeah. Most so they called missing- the police and the police were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yes. And then they called the FBI yes, and were the like, police- okay, these dumbasses. The police were like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Five fucking days. But anyways, so yeah, uh, they when they called the police, two detectives immediately showed up, right, to just get all the information they possibly right. fucking could. And the the detectives themselves thought that the family was acting ridiculous because they didn't seem worried at all. Right. And they were like, how could you not be fucking stressed out over this? Like, the parents were completely convinced that B would do nothing to hurt them or Jan and that there was a perfectly good explanation for this. And so the police go immediately to B's house and start asking Gail all these questions. Mm-hmm. And they're like, did you have any, do you have any cars that are missing other than the previous one, whatever? And Gail's like, well, we have a motor home out back. They go back to that garage. It's missing. How do you not? I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't, How? I don't know. I want a She's whole. She's in on it. I want a whole separate documentary on Gail because I don't fucking get it. She's in so, on it. So, so the motor, the motor home is missing. Surprising literally nobody. Very shortly later on that day, they find his car abandoned on the side of a road. So the window was broken. However, it was broken from the inside out. Like if someone broke it out and it's covered in blood, right? Oh, yikes. And the police immediately recognize it as uh, the scene as being staged. Because it didn't make sense for the window to be broken from the inside out. Because they were like, this looks fucking staged. Because if someone kidnapped them, it would have been the other way around. Right? Right? And there were motorhome tire tracks right next to it and only one set of footprints. Hmm. Which means they, they suspect that he carried Jan right, out of the, the car into the motorhome and drove away. Right. The police then contacted B's brother, who flat out said that he knew his brother was a pedophile, but without saying those words because he didn't know the word pedophile, so because that word wasn't a word yet. And he said that uh, his brother had an infatuation with young girls and that this wasn't the first time. This was just the first kidnapping. Jesus. And that um, he had been banned from previous churches and other cities and stuff for getting too close to people's, like, young young daughters. daughters. Who, like, were actually smart and did something about it. And he also said that growing up, when they were kids, that when B was 13, he would molest their seven-year-old sister. Ah! Yeah. How did it take this long? The 70s, my dude. People are fucking sick. So when Jan woke up, at this point, by the way, I also need to say this. When he met Jan, Jan was nine. When Jan was kidnapped, she was 12. So she's 12 now. Right. By the way. She's not nine anymore. She's, I mean, she's still a child, but she's 12. So she's a little older. So when Jan woke up, it was dark and she was laying on a bed. She could tell that the room was moving because yeah. of the motorhome. Right. And both of her wrists and ankles were strapped down by leather straps. Right? Like, she was, tied, she was tied down to the bed. And a weird, distorted voice kept talking to her out of a small intercom box next to her head. Uh-huh. 
and the box said, it is time for your mission to begin. And she, like, it sounded like an alien, and she immediately believed, like, just thought that she had been kidnapped by a UFO. It was the first thing her brain went to. And she's 12. Right. And so she just kind of started to go in and out of consciousness again, passed out again. The next time she woke up, uh, the, the restraints were off. And the box, the little intercom box, informed her that she had been abducted by aliens. Uh, aliens named Zeta and Zethra. And that Jan was part alien. She's actually half alien and not actually a human. Oh, my God. Um, they informed her that her mom was her real mom, but her dad isn't her real dad, and that her real dad is an alien, kind of like Jesus, whose mom was his real mom, but the dad was God. They're Mormons, so. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like that we're staying on brand and continuing with aliens in each episode. <laughs> Fucking aliens again. We can so, come in anywhere. We're coming anywhere. That's our new motto. <laughs> aliens. They're everywhere. <laughs> aliens. They're everywhere. So, uh, except this time it's not actually aliens. Right. Well, kind of. The one time <laughs> I don't think it's aliens is when aliens are involved in the story. But maybe. But no. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, we're not, we're not touching that. So, um... And they told her that she had a very important mission that she had to complete before her 16th birthday, which her mission was that she had to let the male companion that they selected, who was also half alien, half human, to perform on her and have a child together. Oh, God. Aliens informed her that um, she had to get pregnant with uh, an alien child, with their selected male. Um, Which was B. And that, that child was important because that child would save their alien planet. But if Jan, if Jan decides to not cooperate, then they would then kidnap her sister, Susan, instead. Because Susan is also half alien. And um, Susan at that point was like about nine. Oh, right. So he, like, prime pickings for B. <laughs> so, um... The box, then, after they explain that she's half alien and has to, like, procreate with this chosen person, the box then told her to go to the front of the motorhome, and there she will meet the male companion. So, uh... Oh, so they don't say it. They don't say it because they're trying to... Yeah, they're, like, making a whole spectacle of it. So she goes out to the motorhome to see B passed out, covered in blood... And she's like, oh my god, she was just relieved to see someone she knew and noticed that he was covered in blood and was scared that he might be dead. And, you know, she shook him to wake him up and everything was really freaked out. And he pretended to be confused by what was happening and told Jan, like, we were driving and there was a bright light and I think the light took us and all this bullshit And Jen's like, yeah, the aliens just talked to me and told me that we have to have a baby before I turn 16 to save their alien planet, and that apparently we're both not fully human. Uh Uh-huh. And Jen, within that time, realized, like, well, at first she thought it was kind of weird that the person they chose for her to procreate with was 40 and that she's 12, but then she realized that she's not actually human, she's alien, and it's not that weird anymore. Because she's not human. Oh, I'm sorry. It's less weird since she's half alien. Yeah. 
Like, like, <laughs> it so, makes so much more sense. Well, that level of brainwashing for children is like, which is fucked up because it's like it's it's separating them from their humanity and the society they were grown in. Uh-huh. So, like, they're able to excuse like social norms. I, it's fucked up, but like, I, just, I know, I, I know. Just, I'm sorry that like mindset of like. Oh, uh, this is kind of weird. He's sporty. I, it's fine because I'm half alien. It makes it less weird. In her mind, <laughs> in her mind, she's like, "I'm a freak. I'm not like anyone else. Therefore, the normal laws don't apply to me." The motorhome had a few books in it for her to read about sex. How convenient! How convenient! How fucking convenient! How fucking Did convenient! Did she know that this was his motorhome? No, she didn't know he had a motorhome. She didn't know he had a motorhome. No. So this is an alien motorhome. That's the thing. Like, it's not fucking explained. Also, he drove it. Where the fuck are they going? Like, there's a lot of questions that weren't asked. <laughs> so, so anyways, um, the motorhome conveniently had books in it about sex to teach her everything she needed to know about sex. Oh, with good. Pictures and all this shit. She said in an interview she thinks she was drugged the whole time because she could not tell how much time had passed. Like, she was in and out of being passed out constantly. And just was, like, kind of fucked up and everything was blurry. And she said that after an unknown amount of time for her, the box piped up and said, it is time for the female companion to ask the male companion to do what makes people happy. And that was the first time he sexually assaulted her, which I won't go into detail, but there is some detail in the documentary, so if that's something you don't want to know, just know that that's in there. She talks about it from a first-person account. But one thing I will say that I just, it makes me so sad, is that she would, like, she didn't want to do it. Right. Right? It was not Because it's anything weird, at she all. thought of him as a dad. Yeah, and so she said that she would just, like, zone out and stare at, like, a tree at, out the window to just, like, cope, to get through it and be like, it'll be over soon. Like, she just completely, like, try to, like, completely zone out and be out of her head and just, like, stare out a window. On November 20th, 1974, Jan Broberg had been missing with Bob Birchtold for 35 days. Jesus. 35 days. B called his brother at this point, at the 35-day mark, and said, I want you to call Marianne and get a written permission for Jan and I to come back to the United States and get married. Because we're in Mexico, and we got married here, but it's not legal in the U.S., because Mexican law says you can get married at 12. So in Mexico, they're legally married, but they're not legally married in the U.S. Bob's weird-ass brother, who knew he was a pedophile and all this crazy shit, like, he's in the documentary, too, and he's just, like, there's something fucked up with that dude. I want to know what's going on with that family. I would love to have a documentary on that family alone. Just it sounds everyone, like... every person in this, fa- every person in the story could have a documentary centering them alone, and I'd be interested in it. Yeah. Like, fuck. <sighs> So the brother fucking calls Marianne and goes, hey, I need you to get a written permission for my brother to be able to marry your 12-year-old in America or else you'll never see her again. And the mom is like, no. You, I honestly <laughs> thought she was going to say yes. No. I, I, like, at this point, I was like, "It's she's going to do it. Like, this bitch is so dumb. Mm-hmm. She waited five days to report her missing child. No. So anyways, Marianne's like, no, you cannot have permission to marry my 12-year-old. What the flying fuck? 
So that's when the brother is like, you know what? I don't care if it ruins my relationship with my brother. Because he was worried about ruining his relationship with his yeah, brother. Oh, oh yeah, no. oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. What will happen if I'm not allowed to talk to my pedophile he, brother? He agreed to allow the FBI to get involved and uh, tap the phone line to locate the call. Oh, good. The FBI got involved and they traced the call back to a hotel in Mazalan, Mexico. And the Mexican, so the U.S. police contacted the Federales, the Mexican police. They found the motorhome. They arrested B, took Jan, and B bribed one of the prison guards with his wedding ring to let him talk to Jan. So when the prison guards brings her down to the cell and he says to her, Tell your family that I brought you on a vacation and that I made a mistake and I took you too far away. I didn't tell your family and that I didn't tell your family like I should have. But I have been visited by Zeta and Zethra and they told me that there are four things you can't talk about. You can't talk about them at all. The aliens, period. Uh-huh. The relaxing pills that you have received on multiple occasions. The mission itself or any of the sexual experiences you've had. And you're also not allowed to talk to any other males, including your dad. And if you do any of these things, your sister Karen will go blind, who is like seven at that point. They will kill your dad. They will vaporize you. And they will take Susan. So she's terrified. Uh, Right, of course. Because she (laughs) is so scared for her family that she's like, oh my God. And she's just like completely convinced, right? Right. That these aliens are torturing them. So when Jan was reunited with her parents in Mexico, because they flew down to get her, she was mad at them and yelled at them for calling the FBI and getting them involved and that she was on vacation with B and everything's fine. God. Right? So, um... This is a nightmare. Yeah. So here's another fucked up part. They had Jan inspected by doctors, and the doctor said that she had no sign of being raped, which is crazy because she was. It's because she wasn't violently raped. There were no bruises or anything. Right. 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 So her parents believed that she had not been touched. Touched. And they were like happy by that. And she wasn't going to talk about it. She wasn't going to talk about it. Yeah. Because she was scared they're going to kill her family, basically. And so they decided to try to move past it. They uh, charged, they pressed charges for kidnapping. And Jan, like, would take any opportunity to defend B and would, like, beg them to drop the charges and not do any of them. And she um, was just obsessed at this point with trying to complete this mission because she, she was on a time limit. She had until she was 16. Right. Right? Gail, B's wife, threatened that if they didn't drop the charges, she would expose the gay affair between Bob and B. And the good Mormon family they are, they just couldn't have that on their hands. So they dropped the charges and signed an affidavit that said that B did not kidnap their kids and that everything was consented. The FBI themselves were fucking livid. Fuck Mormons! (laughs) God damn! So the FBI and the detectives who were involved were fucking livid because they knew the truth and they were like, how could you fucking do that? How are you going to like fucking sell the soul of your child to protect your fucking Yeah, they were like, oh, so your reputation is more important than your child's safety. Good to know. Um, So at that point in time, B had pretty much done everything he could to encourage Jan to be 
mentally separated from her family. She believed she was an alien. She believed that she had to keep all these secrets from them. She believed that her only ally and only trustworthy person was B, the only person she can't see. Her room was in the basement, separated from her sister's room. They used to have one room. Right. But B, when uh, Jan started getting older, was like, we should build a wall here and separate you guys. Like, he would just try to isolate her at any moment he could. Right. So knowing that she was in a room by herself now, he would visit her. He would come into her room at night through the window, and he would leave the little intercom with more, like, alien... Alien uh, direction, hell. and the aliens would be like, "You're doing fine. Just act exactly as you can. You'll be able to leave with Bob soon, and we can like finish the mission." And he would come into their house, and he would sexually assault her, or statutory rape. I don't know what you'd call it. I just call it assault, but that's me. She's twelve. I'm over <laughs> it. I'm like, I can't. I know I can't get through this documentary. I'm just gonna get pissed off. Oh, it's nuts. After, so during, let's see, from 1975 to 1976, which is uh, a year to two years after the kidnapping happened, this part gets me. Marianne continued an affair with B after the kidnapping, after the the marriage in Mexico, after everything. They saw each other 11 times within an eight-month period and would have sex and whatever. I hate these parents. They're awful. so much. They're awful people. So then B called Bob to tell him this to try to tear the marriage apart. He was basically just trying to tear the family apart. He was trying to isolate To have easier access to Jan. So the dad, after a while, was, like, going to file for separation, and the kids were, like, really upset and all of this stuff, and then during this exact same time that he's having the affair with the mom, he is still visiting Jan, and it was an eight-month period, by the way, and during that time, he visited Jan at night and sexually assaulted her, like, at least seven times. So then after this is, Jan was about 14 now, um, so... Throughout those two years, he would send her love letters to school. He would somehow get them to her. He would um, find ways to contact her and whatever. And, and this whole time, she's not about it, right? Well, no. At that point, she was. She thought she was in love with him. She was completely brainwashed by the whole alien uh, thing. I'm not human. No one will understand me. Bob's the only one who gets me. And he started writing her love letters. So when she was 12 and she first started receiving the love letters, she didn't really know what to do with it. So she just kind of wrote back what he thought he wanted to hear. Yeah. And then after a while, she, like, convinced herself she was in love with him. Yeah. And that this whole thing was consensual and totally fine. I hate everything. Oh, I know. Continue. So, the next kidnapping, because there's a second one, she voluntarily went with him. They left in the middle of the night. She's about 14. They went to California, where he enrolled her in a private school and pretended to be her dad, Lolita style. And, um, Yeah. He told the principal that he worked for the CIA and that sometimes dangerous people would come by, like, asking for them, and that if they did, to not give them any information. It worked. Everyone is stupid, and I hate everybody in this story. This is the fucking worst thing ever. Why? If there's so many people in contact with this, who, why, why the fuck did somebody... What is this? Uh, somebody set fire 
fucking 70s. Like, seriously, what is this garbage? Yeah. How? Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. So it it worked for a while. They were missing for, I think, about, I don't have this written down as I should, so I'm going off memory now, but I'm pretty sure it was about five months was how long that was. They were gone for five months before they found them. And the FBI were like, yeah, 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 and found her. <laughs> and they took her back home. She was again upset when talked to her parents. Her dad was like super upset because she he didn't have a relationship with his daughter anymore. Like she was scared to talk to him because he was male and the aliens told her not to. And she was scared that he'd die if she talked to him and like whatever. And so um when she turned fifteen, uh so at that point in time the family had completely cut off communication with B. Like they were like, it's enough is enough. Right. Like Oh, now enough is enough. Now now now, now enough is enough. Now enough oh, is okay. enough. It wasn't yeah. the fucking kidnapping. It wasn't the, first or the time. marriage in Mexico. Or <laughs> what like <laughs> I know, I know. So this <laughs> It was just a little mistake. Like, she finally her tells sister. her. She finally tells the middle sister, the one who's also part alien, what happened. Because she'll understand because she's also part alien. To which Susan, please, no, Susan. No, no, it's okay. Susan's good. Okay. Susan can or like. Susan, please give me a lifeline. I need you. <laughs> so, so Jan was terrified to tell her because she was worried the aliens were going to punish her. So she finally told her. Nothing happened. Karen didn't go blind. Her dad didn't die. Susan wasn't taken. Nothing. And after a while, she was like, like, this is the first time she's realizing it might not be real. It took that long, which is so sad and upsetting. As it gets closer and closer to her 16th birthday, she has zero way of contacting B. She has no way of getting pregnant by him. Nothing, right? And she's, like, terrified that her whole family is going to suffer and all of this stuff. And her 16th birthday comes and goes and nothing happens. And she is just livid. Just every level of betrayal, like, you could feel. Yeah. So fast forward to the early 90s. Everyone's grown. That is when Jan and her mom decide to collaborate and write a book about everything that happened to them. Um, because they did not they did not put me in prison. I'm sorry. If I was Jan, I would have zero contact with my mother, with my father. I'd be like, you guys both suck. You're really bad at being parents, and I want nothing to do with you. This is like at least a percentage your fault. Like Yeah. Pretty sure it's called losing innocence. I wanna double check that. More like losing sanity. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. Stolen Innocence. Okay. Stolen Innocence. So, Stolen Innocence, the Jan Broberg story came out, um, I think the early 90s. I'm sorry, I should know this better. Wikipedia, please save us. I donate money to you. <laughs> <laughs> because I like you. When the fuck was this published? 
Whatever. She wrote a fuck you, you book. I don't know. It says 2003. I want these parents to go to jail, too. Like, not nearly for a <sighs> But y'all are at least some fucking, like, psych ward or something. Y'all aren't well. You are not well. <laughs> you are not good people. And something needs to be done about your asses because you can't just be like, Wow, I fucking take it back. It was the early goddamn 2000s they wrote this book. They wrote Losing in Stolen Innocence in 2003. It became a bestseller. And uh, it was a huge story in uh, pedophilia. Um, their story was known about prior to and was one of, like, a big... It was, like, a big story that just, like, helped pave the way towards, like, learning about pedophilia and how, like, it's not just a stranger off the street. It can be people you know. Right. Really helps like warn people with that so yeah her and her mom wrote this book stolen innocence and um they finally were like doing everything they could to try to put him in prison and there's footage of them in court at one point he turns to her and he's just like you're just doing this for money like you're not actually hurt or anything like whatever like he says this to jan mm-hmm. now that they're like now that she's like 40 or 30 or whatever. She's grown, right? Oh, and he has no interest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, sitting across from her. And he's, he, she's trying to get him in prison for all of this. And he has other accounts of him, you know, like molesting and harming other young girls and all kinds of stuff. And he's just like, oh, you're not whatever. And she just stands up and turns to him and she goes, no, I'm doing this so that you can never hurt anyone ever again and that if you truly were sorry for what you did to me you would turn yourself in and he was just like taken aback and he was like I I'm sorry I didn't realize that I like had hurt you in any way and she was just like you're a complete (laughs) sick individual and you should fucking turn yourself in if you actually care about me or anyone after shortly after that um he found out that the cops were coming for him Okay. And we're going to put him in prison. Cool. And he killed himself. No. He killed himself. I'm unsatisfied. He killed himself before he could go to prison for it. I'm unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. His brother was the last one to talk to him. He called him beforehand. He goes, they're coming for you. They're coming. They're asking me where you are. And I told them. And they're going to they're gonna get you. Fuck you, brother. Fuck you. And fuck all you people in this yeah, story. Except yeah. for Jan. You poor baby angel. But fuck you guys. Yeah, poor Jan. Y'all fucked up all over the goddamn place. What is wrong with you? <sighs> mm-hmm. I'm not watching this documentary. It's I'm still, fucking angry. It's still a really good documentary. I want to beat up everyone. It's <laughs> like, still a really good documentary. It just... So, Stolen uh, Innocence, <laughs> the Jan Probick story is the book. Abducted in Plain Sight is the movie. And this story is insanely fucked up, obviously, on a bajillion levels, but also, like, it's really, really, really important for people to know that, like, people who are pedophiles, people who come for your kids and everything, they're not strangers on the street asking if your kid wants candy. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times, they're, like, your uncles, people close to you, people, like, stepfathers, like, people you know and love. And they do all kinds of crazy tactics to brainwash you, brainwash your kids, do everything in their fucking power to get what they want, and it's fucking sick. Here's a fucking rule. That's my Stockholm Syndrome story. It's about a girl who literally thought she was an alien. Maybe don't let anybody disappear with your child 
for longer than you fucking agreed on. Yeah. Like, I don't care if they're family, your mom, your sister, your cow, nobody. I don't care. Like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> I don't want, no, stop. Just, it's your kid, it's your kid. Keep an eye on him. Don't let him disappear. Because it's partly your fault. And that's infuriating. And fuck Mormons. And fuck everyone in this story. <laughs> fuck Mormons. Fuck Mormons and your homophobic bullshit. Get, the, get your head out of your ass and protect your children. Okay? And you know what? Even if you are gay and you cheated on your wife and people are trying to use it to blackmail you in order to keep your kid from not being safe, fuck it. Turn yourself in. Admit your faults. Don't put your kid in harm's way because you're ashamed. It's, that's, it's, you're all terrible. <laughs> all of you. Everyone in this story is the worst. This has been Quinn the Macabre. I'm Katie Adkins. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like, we would absolutely love to hear your own personal spooky stories, whether it's a ghost story hometown, crime, whatever, you can totally email us at courtinthemacabrepodcast at gmail.com because I want to read them and I want to start, I want to start doing mini episodes, reading all y'all's stories. I have a couple and I would really like more. And, um, apart from that, keep it creepy, y'all, and don't kidnap people and burn down the 70s. Keep it creepy and burn everything. Burn everything. Burn everything. Music by freestockmusic.com.